0: Hello, Willingdon Church family. Please grab a cup of coffee or tea as we open our Bibles to Luke 17 today. I've got my, one of my favorite mugs, my Chengdu mug, and uh, hope you can see the panda. Luke chapter 17. Um, you know, with the re- recommended social distancing in recent weeks and for some self-isolation, we're almost forced to take a look at our relationships, especially with those closest to us. Uh, Some police officers are reporting that there's more relational tension in homes and other living environments. Others who are alone, uh, they have more time to consider the pain of their broken relationships. If I were to ask you the question, how many of you have been hurt by someone? I'm guessing all of you would answer yes. And because we have all been hurt by someone, Jesus' words on forgiveness and reconciliation, restoration, they they apply to all of us. This is definitely an everyday struggle. Why do we need to forgive? Who should we forgive? Who do we struggle to forgive? Well, People who have taken all the toilet paper, eggs, and milk over the last few weeks. More seriously, maybe an employer who just laid you off. Maybe people who aren't respecting the social distancing guidelines. They irritate you. Maybe competitors who are trying to steal your business right in the midst of this crisis. Maybe teachers or fellow students who have ridiculed your faith. Maybe family members who have belittled you, shamed you even. Maybe church members who have let you down in some really important moments. Maybe parents who failed to encourage you, didn't affirm you. Maybe siblings who, instead of supporting you, actually competed with you. The list, it just goes on and on, doesn't it? Why is it so critical that we forgive? Well, our mental and emotional health is at stake. Our relationship with others is at stake. Our spiritual growth is at stake. Most importantly, our relationship with God is at stake. Few things have caused more shipwreck, more carnage in individual lives, families, churches, than a lack of forgiveness. If all of this is true, we should really be motivated to hear Jesus' words on forgiveness. So let's go to Luke chapter 17, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Chapter 17 is part of a larger section in Luke, which answers the question Who are the true disciples of Jesus? What are their characteristics? Jesus says to his disciples, Pay attention to yourselves. Don't become one of those who causes others to stumble. And if someone sins against you, don't allow the offense within you to, to grow. If your brother sins, well, rebuke him. Correct him so that he actually has the opportunity to repent and and to change his ways. And if you can forgive him, well, then restoration can occur. The point is we're responsible for one another. We're accountable to God and to one another for the way that we live. You see, faith, yeah, it's personal, but it's never merely private. We're to follow Jesus together. Disciples of Jesus certainly can't be like the elder brother in the story of the lost son in Luke chapter 15. Uh, The elder brother, he just stood at a distance in judgment on his younger brother, made no effort to be a part of his restoration. Jesus says, If you're my disciple, and someone sins against you seven times in one day, <laughs> and then repent seven times in one day, well, forgive him readily seven times. In a parallel passage in Matthew 18, the restoration process, it's just outlined in a little more detail. What Jesus says there is that if the personal conversation actually doesn't lead to restoration, to reconciliation, well, then draw others into the conversation. In Matthew 18, Jesus also shares another parable where he says that we should forgive 70 times 7. In other words, just as sin is frequent, forgiveness should be frequent. The disciples are to forgive without keeping count. So, here's an important point. For disciples of Jesus to forgive, it's actually a God-given opportunity. And we're going to have this opportunity over and over. It will be quite frequent. Now observe the disciples' response to Jesus' command. It's in verse 5. Luke 17, verse 5. The disciples, or rather the apostles, said to the Lord, increase our faith. Verse five, it's actually tied to the previous verses uh, by a coordinating conjunction. Grammarians will be happy about this. Um, And, or but. But anyways, connected. Verse five is tied to verse four. You see, the disciples, they're just astonished by Jesus' words. Forgiving people without keeping a record of wrongs, that's gonna demand a huge increase in their faith. Basically, they're saying, Jesus... If you want us to forgive that much and that often, you need to increase our faith a ton because forgiveness, it is just too hard. Jesus answers, verse six. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would... Obey you. Jesus provides a very insightful response here. He says, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, in other words, you don't need faith the size of a 200 kilo millstone to forgive. With faith just the size of a mustard seed, now a mustard seed, it is one millimeter in diameter so small you can hardly see it. With just that little bit of faith, you'd be able to uproot a mulberry tree, and I think some black mulberry tree is in view here. It has uh, just a wide root system, and it can live up to 600 years. So with just a little bit of faith, they would be able to uproot that mulberry tree and plant it, in the sea, and the Greek sent- sentence structure here is really fascinating because it communicates that the tree is actually ready to obey before the command is even given. so the issue is not the size of the disciples faith but the presence of faith. They already have enough faith. <laughs> that metaphor that jesus uses it 's surprising it 's delightful it 's thought provoking. It draws a smile. The mulberry tree, Jesus says, it's actually ready to jump into the ocean and be planted there. Just exercise a little faith, disciples. Just one millimeter wide seed of faith with that. If you exercise it, God's ready to yank a widely rooted mulberry tree from the earth and plant it in the sea. What's the point? Well, Jesus is saying, one millimeter of genuine faith in me, it's going to have a phenomenal outcome. So the point is, disciples of Jesus, they actually have the resources needed to forgive. They already have them. God just wants a little faith. That's all he needs to work with. This is something we can celebrate as disciples of Jesus, We have what we need. And Jesus, he then shares a parable with his disciples to emphasize his point. Let's go to verse seven, Luke 17, verse seven. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. So the slave here is coming back home after a full day of work. Verse 8, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly? In other words, tuck up, tuck in your robe and get ready to serve. Will he not rather say, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? So it's a rhetorical question. The, The answer is supposed to be yes. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Again, the expected answer is no. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty, what was our obligation. Now, in our egalitarian society, so focused on the the rights and the, the feelings of each person, This parable sounds really harsh. Having lived in and observed some societies where class distinctions are are more pronounced than many people actually have servants and maids, this parable shows us how it actually works in those societies. Servants, they obey. They don't ask questions. It's just their duty, their obligation. And so in the parable, the disciples of Jesus, they're to identify with those unworthy servants. They've been saved by the grace of God. God owes them nothing. They owe him everything. So, as servants of Jesus, we've been saved by God's grace and we are to exercise faith and forgive. We are to do all that Jesus has commanded us to do, like the unworthy servant. We can't just pick and choose what we want to obey, what we would prefer to obey. No. We do all that Jesus has commanded. And what had Jesus commanded his disciples to do? Well, to forgive. They didn't need more faith. So a third point. Forgiveness is most often more about obedience than faith. More about obedience than faith. You see, faith is this determined, thoughtful decision to trust God and obey his directive. True faith, even a little of it, leads to forgiveness. We see an example of this kind of faith in the following story. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. has made you well. The ten lepers they they stand at a distance. They're not permitted to mingle with the people. They're forced to self quarantine for life, self isolate for life. Now in Canada, of course, we have little contact with leprosy, um, so I imagine some explanation is necessary. Leprosy, it's, it's a disease which attacks the nerves. The first sign of leprosy is usually a, a patch of discolored, numb skin. And if that's left untreated, it causes permanent damage to the hands, to the feet, to the eyes. It leads to blindness, to ulcers, to paralysis, to amputations. The consequences are really visible. Today, over 7 million people are currently affected by leprosy across the world, usually in poor com- countries. Daily, about 600 people are diagnosed to have leprosy. Like COVID-19, it's thought to be transmitted through nasal droplets. The consequences of having leprosy in Jesus' time, they were devastating. There was no known cure People with leprosy, they were shunned by their communities and often their own families. They were considered to be under a divine curse. They were outcasts. To this day, lepers, they often endure a lifetime of shame, of separation, of abuse. The lepers of Luke 17 those social outcasts they call out to Jesus for mercy their language it just communicates the urgency that they feel they want to be healed immediately but Jesus instead tells them to go to the priests for testing as it were the priests they were the health care consultants of the day the priests would have had to inspect the lepers and declare them clean so that they might be reintegrated into society. Now, Jesus had healed many people on the spot. For example, in Matthew chapter eight, he heals a leper immediately. Remember the centurion's daughter? The daughter was in another village and Jesus healed her with a word. The woman with an issue of blood, she just touched the hem of Jesus' garment and she was healed. So why does Jesus send the lepers on their way without healing them? Shouldn't he have healed the lepers right there on the spot and then sent them to the priests for inspection? What's the point? Well, the lepers, they have to exercise faith. They have to begin to obey Jesus' command before they actually experience healing. The lepers could have said, Jesus, uh, heal us first, and then we'll go to the priests. We're not taking another step until we know that we're okay. Luke tells us that they just went. Their response was actually contrary to that of the disciples. As they walk toward the priests, God heals them. God heals them as they take steps of obedience. And the last details of the story are truly remarkable. Only one returned to give thanks, to praise God, a Samaritan. Only one demonstrated gratitude. And what did Jesus say to him? Your faith has made you well. Well. You exercised faith and you experienced healing. So what's the lesson for the disciples who are struggling with forgiveness? The same thing will happen to them if they take steps of obedience in the area of forgiveness. So here's the point. Disciples of Jesus, they experience healing when they take steps of faith. Now, when we've been hurt by someone, Everything within us just cries out for justice, right? Offense, it hurts. Yet when Jesus speaks to his disciples here, he leaves them with no wiggle room on this one. No, they must forgive. And why was Jesus so emphatic about the need to forgive? Well, let's go back to the beginning of the chapter, to Luke chapter 1. Sorry, Luke chapter 17, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents... Forgive him. Temptations to sin are sure to come. Temptations to sin, well, that can be translated uh, offenses, stumbling blocks, traps, uh, bait sticks. Offenses and stumbling blocks are sure to come. Literally, it is impossible for offenses to not come. It's impossible in life to avoid offense but woe to the one through whom they come. So no one is excused for being the cause of offense. For the person who causes offense, Jesus says, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea. That he should be the, then that he should be the cause of one of these little ones to sin. Now the little ones in the gospel They are those who have begun to follow Jesus. They are new disciples of Jesus. They are children. They are the vulnerable. A millstone, it's a a stone weighing hundreds of kilos. It was used for grinding grain into flour. It was propelled by a donkey or a mule walking in circles on a track. Many things can cause a little one to stumble. Parents who exasperate their children, who just demand too much from them. A teacher or a mentor who encourages immoral behavior. Church leaders who do not reflect the character of Jesus. Christians who live one thing at church and then another thing at home. One of the most common sins that drives people away from Jesus is a lack of forgiveness. How many children grew up going to church but today do not want to get near a church, near God, near a Bible because their parents took offense at someone in the church, a pastor, a worship leader, a youth leader, an elder. Parents were offended. They became bitter. They spoke about it at home. They spoke with other people about it. They refused to forgive and now their children want nothing to do with God. Jesus is emphatic when it comes to forgiveness because the eternal destiny of the little ones is at stake and also the relationship of those offended with God. That is also at stake. You know, we all make mistakes as parents. Judy and I have made many mistakes. The good news is that we can Repent, we can humble ourselves, we can seek healing, we can ask for forgiveness, we can seek restoration. Jesus says it would be better to be thrown in the sea with a millstone tied around your neck to actually suffer physical death rather than cause a little one to stumble. Better to die a death without eternal consequences than cause someone else to fall. So knowing the gravity of this, what is the path toward forgiveness and healing? Well, it's important to recognize that forgiveness is a process. It's not just a singular event, a singular moment. Maybe I should just mention a number of things that do not represent what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not giving approval to the wrong done. It's not saying, hey, it's, oh, it's okay, nothing happened. It's not pretending that the offense did not take place. It's not saying that justice is not important. And sometimes we don't want to forgive because we want justice. It's not making excuses for another's bad behavior. It's not acting as if there are no negative consequences as a result of what was done. It's not saying, hey, I forgive you before we're ready to forgive. It's not restoring a relationship when it's actually not safe to do that. And it's important to recognize that forgiving a person and trusting that person are actually two different things. Here are four practical steps to true forgiveness. First of all, begin with your own repentance before God. We have often judged the one who has offended us. We've talked to others about our pain. We've talked to others about their sin. We've contaminated others. And so it's necessary quite often to just humble ourselves and own what we have done and tell those that we have Uh, Talk to that we are wrong. We should not have said what we said. Ephesians 4, verse 26 reads as follows Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil repent, because when you take offense and let it grow, you give an opportunity, literally a foothold to the devil in your soul. And the devil, he's actually looking for a secure footing within your soul that will serve as a platform so that he can build things there. So Satan, he'll plant thoughts in your mind. He'll remind you of what the offender has done. He'll tell you what the offender is saying or thinking about you, even when it's not what they're actually thinking or saying about you. Why? Because he's a liar. He's a divider. He is intent on destroying relationships. He actually wants you to contaminate others with your bitterness. Hebrews 12 verse 15 reads, Seek to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. You see, when you hang on to offense, you cause trouble for others, not only for yourself, but also for others, for the little ones. And secondhand offense is often much worse than being offended directly. How often we've drawn conclusions about others because of what we've heard others say about them. Remember, Jesus says, it would be better if you were drowned in the sea than to cause a little one to stumble you may also need to remember that you have actually contributed something to the situation so is there something that you and i need to own and confess being hurt it does not give us permission to hang on to offense Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So as we repent, we'll often need to ask Jesus to forgive us for not forgiving as he forgave us. And then we'll need to choose to obey the command to extend the grace that we've received. So here's another important point, step. Choose to forgive because God forgave you. And that's really the core motivation to forgive. We've experienced so much grace. And Jesus wants us to extend that grace and walk in freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Many well-meaning disciples of Jesus have chosen to forgive, but have experienced actually no relief from the pain of being hurt. They just can't get the offender out of their minds. They can't stop thinking about the offense. I've experienced this. In a previous role, I took offense against uh, another colleague and I did that because I thought that I had been treated unjustly. I talked to the person, I worked for reconciliation, but restoration, it was just complicated. So I put the person on my my forgiveness list and, and I chose to forgive, but the pain just kept coming back. The memory of the hurt, it would roll around in the back of my mind. It would distract me during times of prayer or when I was working on something, that thought would come back to me. And that would just frustrate me internally. Even when I tried to spend time with God, this person would show up in my mind. So what can be done in these situations? Well, look at verse 14. Luke 17, verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So here's another important point. Remember that healing happens as we take steps of obedience. Forgiveness, it occurs as we obey. It's not just a thought in our heads, hey, I'm gonna forgive that person. No, no. The decision to forgive, that's just where it begins. And we can't expect that we're going to have warm, fuzzy feelings immediately. But if we put our faith into action, we'll begin to see healing. It's a choice. Jesus said in Luke chapter six, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. You see, we're called to love our enemies. And love, that's an action. Just think about what God has done for us. He demonstrated his love for us in Jesus. He didn't just think about love. Do good to those who hate you. Say something nice. Shake their hand. Or, at least in this season, smile. Give them an elbow. Bless those who curse you. Ask for God's favor on them. It may not feel like blessing them in the moment, but as we do it, God will work healing in our hearts. Pray for those who abuse you. Pray for them what you would pray for yourself. So Jesus encourages us to express forgiveness in very, very concrete ways. Forgiveness... It's difficult. But if we exercise faith and obey Jesus, we will begin to experience healing, spiritual healing. Our relationship with God will come alive again. Mental healing, the the crazy thoughts will disappear. Emotional healing, the pain of that offense will dissipate and we'll be able to think about those people that have offended us without getting angry and we'll even experience physical healing in some instances. The spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, and relational cost of bitterness, (laughs) it's just incalculable. Many say that, you know, when we have negative emotions, what happens within us is that deadly toxins are released. And it affects us mentally, emotionally, physically. There's healing in exercising forgiveness. And you might ask the question, well, but what about that person that has abused me um, verbally, physically, maybe even sexually? Well, I would encourage you to ask God for wisdom, to seek counsel. You'll probably need to establish healthy boundaries. But you can't ask God for the strength to forgive. You might also ask, well, what if the person that has offended me has actually passed away already? Well, maybe you need to go to that person's graveside and pray. Maybe you need to write a letter that you will never send that just expresses your desire to forgive that person. There's one more characteristic of a true disciple, and it's this you see the Samaritan coming back to Jesus and thanking him. As we experience healing, as we take these steps of obedience, no matter how difficult, we will experience healing. And we are to return to Jesus, our master, and thank him for the healing. Disciples of Jesus, they return to God and thank him for the healing. When we experience God's healing in our hearts and our relationships, may we be like the Samaritan leper. May we not forget to turn our eyes to Jesus and worship him, fall at his feet, and thank him with all that we are. As disciples of Jesus, we've been given what we need to forgive. We have the resources. In this life, we're going to have a lot of opportunities to forgive. But God is present with us by his spirit to enable us to walk toward forgiveness, restoration, and healing. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then maybe in this moment what you need to do is just surrender your heart to him. And if that is you, then I would ask you to pray with me. Just bow your head right now. Jesus, please forgive me for leading my own life separate from you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, for paying the penalty for my sin. Thank you that I can repent now and turn to you and surrender my whole life to you. I turn to you for forgiveness, for new life. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your Spirit. Set me free. I want to be like you. Help me to forgive those who have hurt me. Father, I invite your Holy Spirit to enter me. And I thank you for the blessing of becoming one of your children, a member of your family. Thank you for gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you can click on the yes button on the screen. And now I want to pray for those of us who made the decision to follow Jesus some time ago. Father, as your disciples, as your children, you call us to forgive. Thank you, Jesus, for your instruction. And so, Lord, with the faith that you have given us, may we exercise it. May we take those steps of obedience. May we reach out to others in love. Father, may we bless those who have hurt us. May we pray for them. May we seek restoration. May we seek them out if it's what we need to do, Lord. If we've been hurt and uh, the person that has offended us is, is present in our lives, Lord, may we seek out that person and seek restoration. Thank you that forgiveness is real and possible. Thank you that you have healing for us. Lord, may we trust you for it. And I pray, Lord, that as we think of the little ones around us, May we be mindful, Lord, of all that you have done for us. May we be mindful of how we influence those around us. May our words be graced with the love and wisdom and discernment of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you are so gracious and that you're present to teach us and to guide us in our relationships right now. And so we praise you. And we thank you for the healing that we have received in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.